You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, good morning, everyone. Pick up a Bible and open it up to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 24. We're in a new series that we started last week called God, the Gospel, and Our Response. It's, uh, I said last week or a couple weeks ago, 10-part series. It's actually an 18-part series. We're going to go through until the first week of February, and God has so much to say in this book about how we Christians are to live in this world. And so while you're turning in there, that's page 1036 in the church Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one on the seat as our gift to you. I want to say congratulations to Daniel and uh, Megan that got married. Are they here today? Are they here? There they are, over there. Congratulations. We had a great wedding last yesterday right here, and thanks so much to the team that uh, ran it and supported them, and then the group that came in and uh, helped get this place ready for Sunday. And so we're really excited and encourage them and support them in their uh, marriage in the days and weeks and years to come. I also want to point out, uh, I was told today that uh, one of our faithful, the longest standing person in this church uh, Calvin Everett, who is our, uh, who's done just about every role in this church, um, had his 70th birthday on Friday, and there Calvin said that he's been coming here since he was a like a youth, and so we just want to say happy birthday, Calvin! Happy 70th birthday! We're looking forward to 30 more good years. Let's take a minute and pray. God, thank you so much for all these people that have come out. Lord, they didn't come to hear me. They came to seek you. And I pray that they would be encouraged as they look around and see other believers, other people seeking you, that they are not alone, even though it can feel alone in the time in which we live, that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would see the precious gifts that you have given us that are waiting and available for us as we go through this world, uh, this quickly changing culture that we live in, and Lord, that we would grab hold of these things and make them a part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a man named William Randolph Hearst. He was a very well-known investor, politician, businessman, publisher in the first half of the 20th century. He invested a great fortune in collecting arts and treasures from around the world. Well, one day, Mr. Hurst read the description of a very valuable piece of art that he decided he wanted. So he sent his agents out looking around the world to find out who owned this piece of art so that he could purchase it. Well, after almost a year of searching, his agents reported back that they had finally found the treasure. To the surprise of Hearst, this priceless masterpiece was stored in none other than the warehouse of William Randolph Hearst. 
The multimillionaire had been searching all over the world for a treasure that he already possessed. Had he read the catalog of the inventory of things in his warehouses, he would have saved himself a lot of money and a lot of time. And all over the world today in our culture, people are searching, they're looking, they're searching for identity, they're searching for God, they're searching for power, they're, they're searching for their value. And, and, and there's things, these things, uh, the, the eternal things, they're locked away. That's the reality of what God's word tells us, that, that the things of the supernatural realm are locked away. You cannot get access to them. You can pry, you can try as hard as you want. And that's why you see the world almost convulsing every, it seems like, month. There's a new thing they're going after, a new way to live, a new identity, a new power source, a, a, a something that culture is telling them, but nothing seems to fulfill. But the thing Paul is going to tell us today that he wants us to know is that these things are available to the believer, but only through faith. That faith is like the key that unlocks the treasures that God wants to give to us. It's the only way that one can access it. But to the Christian, you can access the things that the world can't. And that's what Paul's message to us today is. And there's four things he's going to point out or he's going to pray for the church, pray for us that we can possess. And so let's look at those four things. First thing, let's pick it up in uh, verse 15. Paul says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gracious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The first thing that Paul prays that we would know, that we would unlock through faith, is that we can know God, know the personality of God. And, and that may seem like, oh, I've heard that a million times, but I really want you to understand this, that we Human beings can know personally God. That is Paul's prayer that we would uh, have that wisdom and that would be revealed to us. Now that's a concept that you won't find anywhere else in the world. I remember when I was overseas and we were uh, part of our training uh, when we were in our off time was... uh, when we were located in Kabul, the capital city was, we would have a professor from the used-to-be University of Kabul come and give us lectures about the Islamic culture, uh, language, uh, tribes, and one of them was on the uh, their religion, Islam. And so... Um, when I was 24 at the time and I was searching and I was reading a lot of uh, the, the holy writings or the religious writings of, of other groups, and, and this, so this interested me. And I remember somebody asked the question, uh, something like, can I know God through Islam? The professor uh, responded with a yes, you can know God through the Quran. And he said, no, no, no that's, not, that's not really what I'm meaning. I'm meaning, can you know God? Can we actually 
speak to God? Will he actually communicate to us? Well, can we know God? And maybe this guy was a Christian and that's why he was throwing this out. I don't know. Um, but I remember I was paying close attention because I was desperately searching for something in my bleak existence back then. And, and so he said, no, you can't know God. There is one prophet. His name is Muhammad, and God has revealed himself to Muhammad in 632 AD, 632 years after Jesus Christ. And he has written these things in the Quran. You can't know him. You, you are made right with him or you're in good terms with him through the five pillars of Islam. One is the testimony of faith, meaning you'll hear Muslims say something along the lines, there is only one God, one, worship, uh, one truly worthy of worship, and his prophet's name is Muhammad. That is the testimony of faith. Um, it, Muslims do that. Uh, the second pillar of their faith is prayer, that they must pray five times a day. That's where in a Muslim country, some African countries, you'll hear the call go out uh, over the loudspeakers. And now in some European uh, nations, you'll hear that. That is the call for them to go and pray five times uh, praying towards Mecca, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia. The third is charity. You must give 2.5% of your income uh, to the poor, and God will have you in right standing. The fourth is fasting, that you must fast through the month of Ramadan from the um, sun up till sundown. And the fifth is a pilgrimage. You must go on a pilgrimage to Mecca sometime in your life. He would explain and teach us that these are the things that Muslims must do to be in right standing with God, but that still didn't really answer the question. And then, so it, it, I remember going to him later after his lecture was done and asking him, uh, can I go to heaven if I do these things? Because I wanted to know. And his response was, yes, maybe. See, no Muslim can know for sure if they're going to go to heaven, let alone know God. It is a weighing their life on the scales. If you do these things and you've done more of these good things, these pillars, than bad things, then maybe God will take you to heaven. And so there is no assurance of salvation, and there is definitely not the ability to know God. Only the Christian faith claims that you can know, be born again, the Spirit of God be filled, fill you and guide you. That is the Christian promise. And now, Paul is asking not just that we would be saved, but that we would be, God would reveal himself to us, the Spirit of wisdom wisdom is not knowledge i can't read it in a book and become wise wisdom is supernatural i can't uh, uh, pick it up and drink it it comes down from above from the father above james three seventeen. It, it it's only given by god john fourteen seventeen. so he prays that we would be greater greaterly know this wisdom but also that we'd have a revelation. Revelation uh, is the act of revealing something that was previously unknown. So he's praying that we would know things about God the Father that we didn't know before. Not that you know the same things you knew 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even a year ago, that there would be a greater and greater revelation of who God is. That is his prayer for you. And if you 
have been in any sort of relationship with everyone in here has, whether that's the parent-child relationship, whether that's the, the um, spousal relationship, whether that's a friend relationship. You know that relationships grow by revealing who you are. You only can grow in a relationship if people are revealing each other in that relationship. Right? Sometimes we can put up a front or a wall or we can wear a mask. And, and the person we can be in a relationship with, but there's parts of us they don't know. We keep it hidden. And, and there's two parts that, that God says has to happen in this relationship with him. One, we've got to be real. We can't be like we are with people. You know, that half mask, you know, that, that sometimes fakeness. We can't do that with God. Why? Because he sees right through it. Right? And if we, we pretend we're one person uh, to God, but we're really another person, God sees right through it, and that's called fakeness. And there's a sense of pride there that we can't reveal who we really are to God. And he doesn't want that. That's not a relationship. He wants us to be honest with him. And honesty takes humility. And, and God responds to humility. He gives grace to the humble. The second part of this relationship is that God wants to reveal himself to you. The person of God wants to reveal himself to you. That is an amazing thing. And, and there are depths of God that you don't even know. You can live by the ocean. You can swim in the ocean every single day. But you cannot know much about the ocean. Did you know that 80% of the ocean is actually not explored? It's not been mapped? Think about that for a minute. All of our technology, all of the boats and submarines and the abilities and the divers, and yet 80% of the world's oceans have not been explored. And there are depths and depths and depths of God that you have not explored. God has so much depth to him that you could spend your whole life 100% attention in getting to know who God is and you still would not have gone to the lowest depths of God. We really see that in, in the book of Job. Just turn to Job for a minute. That's page 441. It opens up and, and Job is not just some you know, regular guy, we could say. Job chapter 1. God actually shows off Job. He says, uh, no one else on earth is like him, verse 8. This man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. So this is not a guy who casually seeks after God. This is a man who has given his life to knowing God. Seeking God, doing right, living blamelessly before God. And then we know some bad stuff happens to Job. Satan is allowed um, to go after God uh, because Satan, or go after Job. Satan says to God, he just follows you because you give him good stuff and because you can protect him. Really, turn, turn your back on him and, and take away your protection and he'll fold like a cheap paper hat. He'll turn on you just like everyone else. 
And so we know some bad things happen. Now, now turn to 38. So for 37 chapters after that, Job and his friends, Job's friends try and tell him that, yeah, no, it's probably some sin in your life. That's probably the reason why you uh, had all these bad things happen. And then Job finally gets fed up. And he's like, I want an answer, God. Tell me, why is this going on when I did everything so well? And God shows up in 38. And he says something uh, to Job in 38 verse 3. He says this. He says this a couple times in the next couple chapters. Get ready to answer yourself, to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. So now God turns the tables. You want an answer? You want to know why these things happened? Okay, get ready. And for the next couple of chapters, God proceeds to tell him, where were you when I created the 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 seas? Where were you when I created the universe? Where are you, are you the one holding things together? You want answers, but hold on, who's God? And then turn to uh, chapter 42. This is really what I wanted you to, un- to see. So after all of this, Job's in awe of God. He's had an experience with God that he's never had before. He has not had his fortunes restored by this time. In verse 5 of chapter 42, Job says this to God. I have heard reports about you. I had heard reports about you, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Job, the most righteous man in the world, says, you know what? I thought I knew a lot of things about you, God, but now I have learned things that I did not know, things that only my eyes could teach me. There are things about God that we have not even begun to understand. And it's, it's easy to, to know things about God, to know theology, to know characteristics about him, but to not actually know him. And I think a lot of Christians get bored, and I hear this sometimes. Christians, I'm kind of bored with God. I think I know everything about him. I really, he doesn't really excite me anymore. But I think that's a cultural thing, especially in our culture. We get bored with God because we're so busy being, uh, being lured away by all the trinkets of the world. Eugene Peterson puts it well. He says this, the puzzle of the world, of the culture. He says, the puzzle is why so many people live so badly. Not so wickedly, but so inanely. Not so cruelly, but so stupidly. There is little to admire and less to emulate in the people who are prominent of our culture. We have celebrities, but not saints. We have famous entertainers that muse a nation of bored insomniacs. Infamous criminals act out their aggressions on timid conformists. Petulant and spoiled athletes play games vigorously for lazy, apathetic spectators. People aimlessly and bored amuse themselves with trivia and trash. Neither the adventure of faith nor the pursuit of God makes the headlines. So God's not interested in the sort of, I'll give you 10 minutes of the day, 
And we shouldn't expect that God is going to show himself to us in ways that will grow us, in ways that will encourage us, in ways that will strengthen us. God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. This is his desire, Christians, to search after him more than we search through the new movies on Netflix and more through we, we, than we search through the, the new uh, YouTube videos that the algorithms have sent us, to give him our best. And if we don't, we can't really expect all he has promised us. It'll stay locked in there. Look at the second thing, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart, of your understanding, may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. God wants you to unlock in the box an understanding of your purpose, why he called you, your plan, his plan for your life. In the ancient days, and so this might be, what's he talking about, eyes of the heart? We have to understand the way that people looked at the body in the ancient days. In the ancient days, it was thought that the mind, which we know as the mind, was actually in the heart. And that the emotions were actually in the bowels. And so, you know that. You know, when you get nervous and you have butterflies, where do you feel it? Feel it in your stomach, right? Right, when you get, when something horrible happens. Have you ever seen something so horrible you just feel sick to your stomach? Right, or, or it's that you're around that girl or that guy and, and right, and, and it's that first kiss and then, woo, right, your stomach just starts doing turns. Right, it, that's the way that people looked at it, that the emotions were there and so the mind was in the heart. And so our culture prides itself on being a culture that has no truth. There is no ultimate truth. Truth changes constantly. And so we are society led by our emotions, not by our minds, not by truth, but by our emotions. So we read the Bible and we'll ask ourselves questions. How do you feel about that? Or I feel like this. It's saying this to me. Or we go through life, I feel like this, and so therefore I'll do this, I'll say this. But then we end up being a a group of people like Paul is going to say to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 14, tossed about by the waves and carried around by every kind of teaching and by clever and cunning men with their deceitful scheming. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will be in all things grow in the truth of Christ himself. So there is a way to live by your emotions and you'll be tossed to and fro, up, down, all around. Or there is a way to live by the truth. And so Paul is praying that the eyes of their heart, their mind, really is what he's saying, would be opened. That they would stop walking around blindly, being led by their emotions. But their eyes would open and they would have understanding. Their eyes would be enlightened. It means, to, to, again, that revelation talk, that you would learn something you didn't know before, that the truth would affect you so you'd stop living the way that you constantly live. And so, and so I see, meet some Christians who say, I don't feel forgiven. And so they live their lives, even though they've been a Christian a decade, a couple of decades, they live their lives like a person who hasn't been forgiven for the things that they've done. But the truth says we have been forgiven 
by Christ for all of the things that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us to stop living by our emotion, but live by the truth. Stop letting your emotions get caught up in the evening news and in YouTube videos by people who make their money by hooking your emotions and getting a response out of you. He says that you may be enlightened for what? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. The word calling actually comes from two Greek words put together in English, uh, which the two Greek words would be called out. So called out. So you were called out. The hope of being called out from what? Uh, you've been called out to live a holy life, Second Timothy 1.9. You've been called out of darkness into miraculous light, First Peter 2.9. You've been called out of your individualistic, I'll do what I want to do and sort of lifestyle into a one body, one spirit calling, Ephesians 4, 4. We've been called out. I've been called out. You've been called out. Called out. God's calling you out to something more than just what the world is offering. What exactly? Well, it takes a life of faith to find that out. Each day it's revealed a little bit more. As you walk by faith, as you open that up, as you live not by what the world says, by the way God tells us, he reveals that, the hope of the calling. You have hope in this life and you have hope in eternity. You have hope for the struggles you're going through now and you have hope for your eternal life. That's some pretty awesome promises, but we often don't grab hold of those. We live by fear, but you have to unlock the box, take it out, and live it. Third thing God wants us to know is your value to God. He says, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? Now notice here, you have to read it. It doesn't say what are his glorious riches to or of the saints, or sorry, to the saints. He's saying of the saints. So what he's saying is, God has inherited some things. Us. We are God's inheritance. Have you ever looked at it yourself as an inheritance? Like that you have value? Like that if a lot of people want to be left money, right? Or houses, or, or nice stuff, or gold jewelry, right? But... You're God's inheritance. I'm God's inheritance. We have value. More than money, more than treasure, more than power. We have value to God. That is an amazing and wonderful understanding. I just looked back and I saw Ashley is here. With her beautiful little boy. He has value. And we've been praying for you and it's so wonderful to... To see you. That little baby has such value to God. And you have value to God. Even if the world says you don't amount to squat, you have value. Reminds me of a story I heard, and I don't remember the person's name, but we'll call him Greg. Well, Greg grew up in a small town somewhere in the States, and Greg was a, a regular guy, single, not married. Um, he had a business, 
And he worked hard from his teenage years, and he didn't have any siblings. And in his 50s sometime, his parents died in a car accident. And his parents left him, you know, a substantial inheritance. And so Greg decided that he was going to retire, sell his business, take his inheritance, and move down to Argentina, and where it's warmer. And this was in the early 2000s. And if you don't know, um, Argentina's economy imploded in the late 90s. And it was very crazy in those times. There was a collapse, we could say, of, of the society for a few years. And so in the early 2000s, it was very cheap. And so he went down there and he bought an estate and, and he had a, some caretakers, some people who helped him with the property. And, and one day he decided to go into Buenos Aires, uh, the capital city. And he's driving along and they were going through a shady part of town. And he saw some kids out front of a building. Some of them dressed differently than kids he's used to seeing dressed and and almost as they're on display and he asked the caretaker what's with those kids why are they dressed like that why do they look like that and caretaker looked and looked back and said they're for sale for what for whatever for whatever you want Whatever a person would buy for work, for pleasure, for whatever. The man was grieved and went away and thought about this. And he told his caretaker, I want to go and meet the owner, the person who handles that. You want to go? No, don't go, thought the caretaker. For he thought the worst of this man no, I want to go. And so he went and, and he sat down. And he sat with this man and he, and he was excited that he could possibly have a sale to a white man who has money. And Greg looked around and asked him, how much for all of them? How much for all, all of them? All of them. And he gave him a price after he realized he wasn't joking, and this price was about all he had in his savings, almost all of his inheritance. He said, okay, I'll pay the price. And he purchased a couple dozen children, and, and later, as the story goes, he's sitting and he's uh, getting ready to sell his estate and the caretaker because he needs to downsize so he can take care of these children. And the caretaker says, you gave away all you had, your inheritance for these children. And the man looked at the caretaker and said, they are my inheritance. You are God's inheritance. Bought with the blood of his son. He gave all for you. You have value to God. And if you live your life knowing that, it doesn't matter what everyone else says about you. You have this supernatural ability to go through life with hope, with joy, with love in your hearts. First John 3, verses 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him, beloved we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Where are you looking for your value, Christians? Is it out here? Is it out in the culture? Is it in what you can produce? Is it in how much money you have? Is it in your position? Is it in your looks? Or is it in what God says about you? Unlock the box and value yourself as God sees you. Number four, God wants you to unlock the power of God. Paul's going to pray that you would understand the power of God. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Verse 19. To us who believe according to the workings of his vast strength. He demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, every title and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put everything under his feet and appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is the body the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. You've been watching the news, probably, and you've been seeing lots of rockets are going into space, right? There's this competition between the gazillionaires to see how many uh, people they can send up into space. William Shatner, uh, Captain Kirk, went up last week. If you understand the amount of power it takes to send people, a ship, out of the atmosphere into space, it'd be mind-boggled. Watch it sometime. The amount of fuel, the amount of thrust and torque that it takes to get them out of the atmosphere and into space, it's, it's mind-boggling. But Paul is trying to tell us that, that the amount of power that is available, that, that God has, it far exceeds all the combined intellects of all the scientists of all the world and, and all that they could put together with their mind. It far exceeds that. It's, it's, it's God's power is more powerful than the hottest part of the sun. God is, God is more powerful than the largest explosion that the, the biggest nuclear weapon could ever produce. He is more powerful than a 10-point earthquake, more powerful than a Category 5 super typhoon. Like that is the God who created everything. And and Christians often don't understand or, or realize that he wants to unleash that power through his church, through us. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. How did the Christians accomplish the amazing uh, feats that they have throughout the centuries? Through the power of God unleashed in them. How have Christians forgiven the most uh, uh, tremendous and extreme grievances through the power of God unleashed in them? How have they overcome the most tremendous obstacles through God's power in them? How have they loved the most unlovable people through God's power? But his power is only unleashed through faith in him. Not through trust in all the systems of the world, but through 
power through the faith in him. And, and we have to believe, like we, are, we may be the last generation. We may be one of the last generations on this earth. We may be in the last period of humanity. Maybe we're not, but we have to believe. It's, it kind of feels like we've set apart the last 2,000 years and said, well, nothing spectacular is going to happen in our life. We can't really accomplish anything for God spectacular. We'll just kind of come to church and, and then leave and go into our struggles and struggle with the same thing week after week after week and not really impact the community around us. Like that's kind of the attitude that some have taken. But we have to believe that God wants to unleash his power through us in these last days. Jesus said, if you want to think about something, pray about something, pray about this. Jesus says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Wait a second. Either that is true or that's a lie. We have to, by faith, embrace that that is true. And Paul is praying that we would understand this, that we would get this as Christians, that we would stop chasing after the things of the world, but unlock through faith those things that God has already said are ours. That we would know God personally. That we would find hope in his plan. That we would understand our value to him. And that we, he, we would understand he wants to unleash his power in us. I'll close with this story of a guy who had never been on a cruise before. And he, he didn't, wasn't a rich man. And so he, he just had a little bit of money every month and he would put away money for five years every month to go on this cruise. He was a single guy and he, he booked it on the internet. He didn't understand the, the, you know, the cruise language about what was included and what wasn't included. So he thought to himself, after he bought the ticket, it spent all his money on it. Uh, I can't afford to eat at the nice restaurants that the pictures show on the website. And so I'll bring bread and peanut butter and jam. And I'll eat simply so that I can afford to go on this cruise. And, and so he got onto the cruise and, and got his room. And, and, and every day he would, he would smell at breakfast, lunch, and dinner the, the wonderful cruise uh, restaurant smells the bacon and eggs in the morning, the, the steak and the lobster and the chicken and the crab at lunch and dinner. And he would walk by and he would peer in the restaurant. He'd see people just filling their faces with all this good food. He'd, he'd walk down the hallway and there'd be pictures of these happy people eating all the things he wished he could eat. And so it was the last day and, and, and he's there eating his peanut butter and jam and he says, ah, I've been miserable this whole trip. It stinks. I, I, yeah, I'm on this ship, but I can't eat the great food that everyone else is eating. And so he said, I'll, I'll go to the staff. And he went to the staff and he said, I don't have enough money to pay for the restaurant. But if you'll let me, I'll clean the dishes. If you'll just let me come in at the end and eat some of the great food that you're eating. The staff looked at him. What do you mean? It's included. The meals are included in your ticket. They're yours. When you purchase the ticket, you purchase the meals. They're just there waiting for you. He could have been feasting the whole time on steak and eggs and bacon and chicken. Instead, he was eating peanut butter and jam every day. And Christ has purchased for us 
a great feast. The Christian life is not to be this boring, continuous failure that it so often seems like it is. It is to be spectacular and far greater than anything on this earth. Henry David Thoreau said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. And that is so true. But it doesn't mean you have to. Let that not be us. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite Don to come up and he's going to lead us in communion. Oh Lord, I want what you've said I can have. I don't care if anybody else doesn't take it. I want it. And I pray that everyone else in here would want the same. Lord, that we would actually find our value, like our self-esteem in who you say we are. That we would not live like defeated Christians, but that the people in here, whether they're, they're young, they're senior, whether they're wealthy, they're poor, whether uh, they, they think they're important or not, that they have value to you and that you want to unleash your power through them. Lord, imagine what we could do. Lord, we, we so need to get the right perspective of what you have laid out for us. Would you help us, Jesus? We ask this in, in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.